0: Good morning, Covenant. Missed you guys. So glad to be back. Uh, We thank you for a couple of weeks to actually be able to be away. And if you're a a guest with us this morning, my name is Joel and I'm one of the pastors. But we have intentionally, actually, you'll notice the Lord's Supper tables both in front of me and to my right and to my left. Uh, as our elders prepare to, along with me, serve you the Lord's Supper. You'll notice it's not the fourth Sunday, which is normally when we do this. We intentionally push this forward a week. It wasn't just so that your lead pastor could be with you for this time, although I cannot stand to miss particularly this moment uh, with my church family. But it is also because we're going to be talking today about the Lord's Supper. This is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command that he gave first to his disciples, when he broke bread and gave it to them, and he said, this is my body that is given for you. And then he took the cup and he gave it to them. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood that was poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're gonna spend the bulk of our time today opening God's word and looking at what that means because it's important because Jesus told us to do it. But before we examine it, we're going to do it. And I look forward to this with you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning you have recognized that your sins have separated you from God, you have turned from your sins, you have put your faith in Christ's death and resurrection and only Christ's death and resurrection for your sins then whether you are a part of the covenant family or not, you may be a guest with us. If that is where you stand spiritually, you are our brother or sister in Christ, and we welcome you to the Lord's table today along with the rest of our church family. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, or you still have questions about the faith, uh, trust me, you're not alone. One of the reasons that we know that God's hand is upon us is because people just like you come through our doors every single week, and we're so honored to have you with us. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't what you believe. We're going to ask you to just keep your seat. Nobody's going to look at you strangely. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to assume anything. We're all going to be too busy examining our own hearts. Amen, family? Yeah. And so will you stand with me as we pray? And then as God leads, you go to the table that is closest to you. Take the elements. You can consume them there. You can wait till you get back to your seat. Father, would you bless this time as we commune together, not only with each other, but with you in the name of Jesus, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed. Amen. Let's share in the Lord's table together. And youth, you may dismiss to your class when you have partaken. I just have one question as we get started. Which one of you all turned the heat up while we were gone? (laughs) Summertime is definitely here. We left, um, I forget exactly which date it was, but it was a couple of weeks ago on a Tuesday, and I was literally wearing a jacket almost all the way to the beach. Three days later, I'm fighting sunburn, and then I come back and find it's more humid here than it is in my home state. Um, But I hope that you're getting ready to make the most of this season, and I welcome all of you here in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors. If you're a first-time guest with us, let me ask you to just let us know you're here. There's a couple of different avenues that you can use to do that. The first is just to take out your phone, text the word HELLO, capital H-E-L-L-O, to the following number, 571-620-5417. Uh, It's going to ask you for your name and your email address, and after that, information, we're not going to ask you for anything else. We just want to say hello, welcome you to the service. Of course, if there's anything else you want us to know, if there are prayer concerns, if there's any way we can help you, once that data has been entered, you type anything you want into that and it will go into a confidential database and one of our pastoral staff will be in touch with you very quickly. Uh, If you are not technologically inclined or you prefer not to be, maybe you're one of those people that that likes to live off the grid. We also have a way for you to get in touch with us. There's a connect card that looks like this that's in your program that you were given when you came in this morning. Fill that out. Either drop it in the offering plate at the end of the service when we pass that so that our members can support our work financially. Or if you'd like a free bag of popcorn, some other gifts to thank you for being a guest with us, right through those doors and to the left is our information center. And uh, either way, however you choose to make yourself known, I hope you will. And I look forward to getting to know you in-between services. Uh, This is a big weekend for Covenant. I know it's the middle of the summer, but our first Sunday is upon us. And so ladies, tonight is Covenant Women. You do not have to RSVP. We would just love for you to come. So if you haven't reserved space already, that's totally fine. If you need childcare, that is being provided for you as always. Uh, There'll be a wonderful meal. Our ladies are going to continue with a a Bible teaching series that they've been in the middle of. This is the, the monthly time in which our ladies get together to study God's word and if you're a a lady who's new to the covenant family this would actually be an excellent time Uh, you know what I've discovered is a lot of our people don't even know each other you may have been here 20 years and you've always come to the 9 o'clock and there's somebody who comes to the 11 and really the only way you're going to meet that other person some wonderful friendships have been forged through this venue so let me encourage you uh, to make every effort to be at covenant women tonight tomorrow night of course covenant men guys I'm looking forward to being back with you. Uh, sorry I had to miss in May, but we're in the middle of a series now with Dr. Dennis Rainey entitled Stepping Up. It's a series on courage and, and what that looks like in the life of a man. Uh, the burgers and whatever else we have is going to be great. We've got uh, a couple of chefs uh, that are part of our men's group that are leading the way. I'm so thankful for Scott Anderson and Brian Hughes for their excellent leadership. You need to experience that leadership, and you too need to grow in your faith and get to know some other guys. So I hope you'll join us tomorrow night and in the great room at 7 o'clock. And then one other thing I want to mention to you before we get into the message this morning is Discover Covenant is coming up next week. We already have a few folks that have signed up for that. We began a real push for that on social media just a couple of days ago. Uh, Childcare is provided. Lunch is provided. This is just a couple of hours for you to sit with Pastor Chris Walls and myself. You can ask questions about our church if you're new to the, the Covenant family you want to know what it means to be a part of the Covenant family, this is your opportunity to make new friends. It's your opportunity to get to know more about our church family. And it's your opportunity to find your place in the mission of God in this region at Covenant Church. So I hope you'll join us for that. I'll have more to say about that as well throughout the week uh, via video and and some other venues. So I hope that uh, you'll be prepared to join us for that. We have been in a series that we're now in the last couple of weeks in. We've got this week and next week, uh, and then we'll start a new summer series. But this is a series simply called Seven seven basic commands of Jesus. What I found after a long, long time of being a disciple of Jesus, with varying degrees of success in my own life, I failed like many of you have. But what I've discovered is that often, uh, no matter how far advanced you get, no matter how many seminary degrees like a guy like me might have hanging on his wall, no matter how sophisticated you are or think you are, occasionally you need to come back to those most rudimentary principles of your faith, don't you? Back to the basics, because that's the foundation for everything. And if we forget those things or minimize those things or put those things in kind of a pigeonhole because there's something else out here that's a little sexier to us, eventually what's going to happen is the foundation of our faith is going to crumble. And so we've spent the late spring talking about what it means when Jesus calls us to repent. We've looked at what it means when he says that we are to be baptized. What does that look like? Who should do it? How should it happen? What mode should it be? We've talked about the issue of prayer and and how the Lord calls us and commands us to pray. We've talked about the command to love one another. We've talked about about the command to make disciples. And today, we explore a command that we have already corporately as the body of Christ obeyed. And so, in many ways, after observing the Lord's Supper, this is a message that could really easily be Entitled, What Did We Just Do? What Just Happened? What Was the Meaning of All of This? Because today we explore a command that surrounds a symbol. Now, symbols in and of themselves mean nothing. You know that, right? You can put a ring on your hand and not be married. You can wear a badge and not be a police officer. You can wear a medal and not be a hero. You, you can do all kinds of things. You can drape yourself in all kinds of symbols and, and that symbol actually not be true. You can participate in a Christian observance like the Lord's Supper and not be a follower of Jesus. But symbols aren't meaningless either. In fact, Take a look at just a few of these because some of these, you're going to immediately your mind goes somewhere else, doesn't it? For some of you who are police officers or you're married to a police officer or you're in a family of police officers and you look at that badge with that black stripe across it, that's not merely a symbol, is it? It's not meaningless. Ask any spouse Of a fallen officer and she'll tell you there's there's no way you're calling that meaningless ask any family member who's ever had a folded american flag handed to them like the picture you see above you and they're going to tell you yes it's a symbol but it's not a meaningless symbol Uh, on a somewhat lighter but not still somewhat serious note ask any wife whose husband has accidentally lost his wedding ring if it's a meaningless symbol Right symbols mean something in and of themselves they mean nothing but what they represent is powerful and when it comes to Jesus command for you and I to obey the lord's supper this symbol communicates One of the most powerful messages in history. Now, what's interesting is this symbol itself has a powerful history that predates Jesus' command. If you were here at the beginning of the service, you heard Pastor Bob read from Luke chapter 22. We're going to go back there in just a few moments. Jesus' command uh, was actually predated by at least 1,200 years. You got to go back that far to find the origins of what we just did. And you find that in the book of Exodus. God's people have been living as slaves for four centuries under the tyrannical thumb of an evil Pharaoh. God has sent Moses into Egypt to deliver his people out of Egypt and to take them into the promised land. God has told Moses that because Pharaoh doubles down, Pharaoh hardens his heart, Pharaoh refuses to believe, he says, I'm going to send a series of plagues that basically destroy the entire infrastructure of that nation. And then all of these plagues culminate in what I think could be accurately described as one of the most chilling records of divine judgment that we find in all of Scripture. We find that in Exodus chapter 11. Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt. He's already sent locusts, he sent boils, he sent darkness, he sent blood. None of that is nearly as terrifying as when the Lord says, I'm coming myself. I will go down into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. Judgment is coming to Egypt. But in the midst of this judgment, we also find redemption. Look at these words from Exodus chapter 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you you take those lambs and you slaughter them and you take their blood and you put it on the doorpost of the home. What's he saying to Israel? He's saying to Israel, you're just as guilty as your Egyptian captors. You deserve death just as they do. But I'm gonna provide provide a way of escape for you. If you will place the blood on that doorpost, when I pass by that door and I see that blood, I will know that death has already come to this house. Someone has already died in your place. You see what this is pointing to? And then we see the the final words here. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So everything that we just did, rooted in the commands of Jesus, those commands themselves, rooted in a history where God is telling Israel, this is something that you are to perpetually observe And so when Jesus gives the command we explore today, he does it during this season of the life of the Jewish people. It is Passover when he gathers in that room with his disciples and they begin to to pass out the elements of what you and I now know as the Lord's Supper. And in giving this command, Jesus is doing something very profound. He is intentionally shifting the focus of the Passover. The lamb given as a substitute for the sins of Israel foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah. And we read that in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This is the significance of the Lord's Supper that Jesus identifies himself as the ultimate and final Passover lamb. And so just as God had instructed the Israelites to, to regularly observe the memorial as a Passover of their deliverance, Jesus also says to us in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, do this in remembrance of me. There's your command. Do this in remembrance of me. In, in fact, there are three Three direct commands here. The first is take, take the elements. The second is to divide and to share. And the third is to do this. So this is what we do. Now, there are all kinds of questions that eliminate from that because it's been 2,000 years since that moment. And beginning around 200 years after that moment, some different understandings of how to interpret this significant moment begin to creep up into the life of the church They began to cloud somewhat the purpose and the intent of the Lord's Supper. The first misunderstanding stemmed from the account where Jesus gave thanks. You can read that in in verse 17 of Luke 22. The Greek term for giving thanks is the word eucharistos. How many of you come from traditions where you go, hey, that sounds familiar? Yeah, there's a few of you. I said this uh, several weeks ago. I think think one of our great strengths here at Covenant is we come from a variety of denominational backgrounds and tribal traditions within the Christian faith that I think make us stronger together. Now, some of you come from that kind of background, and you recognize the term because you celebrated the Eucharist, the giving of thanks through this participation. But there was a different understanding there that involved something called transubstantiation, the idea that this bread and this wine somehow miraculously become the body and the blood of Jesus. In verse 19, Jesus does say, does he not, this is my body. Later on, he will say, this is my blood. And so some of our friends from other traditions will say, well, that just, that's to be taken literally. And so for many of you who grew up in that kind of a tradition and you celebrated the Latin mass, your priest would get up, he would hold up those elements and he would utter the phrase, "Hoc est corpus meum. This is my body. And it was believed within that tradition that merely saying those words would miraculously transform those elements into the body and the blood of Jesus. And once that happened, the elements themselves would carry redemptive properties. In other words, you can get salvation from doing this. Now, we love our friends in those traditions, but we don't believe that at covenant. And the reason we reject that understanding of this is my body, this is my blood, is because we recognize metaphor when we see it. When Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, he doesn't mean that literally any more than he means in John 10 to be literal when he says, I am the door. Jesus doesn't have a knob that you turn. When he says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Jesus is not literally a loaf of bread. And so we understand when he says, This is my body, given to it, this is a metaphor. When he says, I This is my body. Now, now, why do I want to make that distinction? Why is it so important? It's because we believe that the scriptures teach there is one and only one way to have your sins forgiven. And that is through a Holy Spirit-empowered transformation of your heart that is evidenced by you repenting of your sins and placing your faith, all of it, in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Full stop, nothing else is required of you. That's what we believe. Justification by faith alone. Apart from that experience, me putting a wafer in your mouth does nothing. For that matter, I would be so bold as to say anybody from any denominational tradition presuming to to impart anything salvific to you through these elements is misleading you. They don't intend to do it. They're well-meaning. But this is where we are. So in case I haven't made myself clear, there is no hope in these elements for your eternal life. It's it's crackers and grape juice. I think they came from Food Lion. Okay? And that is all that they are. That is all that they will ever be. So, so, So here's the question. Well, Pastor, if it's just symbolic, why is it important? Why would you include this in a series? Let me give you four reasons that even though this is a symbol and only a symbol and nothing but a symbol, that it is not a mere symbol. It is not an irrelevant symbol. Like a black stripe across a badge or a folded American flag, it is a symbol that is pregnant with meaning that must be internalized by the people of God. Number one, because Jesus gave it to us as a perpetual memorial. Look at verses 14 and 15. Of Luke 22, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've always found this, this phrase from Jesus interesting, I, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The, the description of Jesus' anticipation is mentioned twice here in the original text in two different forms, emphasizing both an eagerness and even some, in, in some ways a sense of impulsivity He is anxious for this time to come precisely because of its proximity to the experience of suffering that he is about to endure. Now, let me share something wonderful with you this morning. 2,000 years later, sitting right here in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, Jesus is no less anxious right here and right now to commune with you than he was with his original disciples. Amen? He is anxious for that. He gives us this as a tool by which we can enter into that communion with him. And so he says in verse 19, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So so when we observe the Lord's Supper as a church family, we are copying what Jesus did here. And in doing so, we're being reminded of the sacrifice that was necessary for our sins to be forgiven. Sometimes it's easy for us to gloss over, I think, certain parts of Scripture. Like, for example, when when, when Jesus says, I wanted to do this before my suffering. Uh, we're sitting in an air-conditioned building on padded seats. Really easy for us to read that and go, oh, that's really cute. And then just kind of move on without putting ourselves for a moment Into the place of Jesus when he says these words, let's try to let's try to do that Can you imagine what it was like for Jesus to speak these words? Can you imagine their meaning when you further imagine what he knew was coming? What was coming and to know exactly what was coming and furthermore to be completely surrounded by it to the point that everywhere He looked everything he saw everything. He smelt, everything. He heard reminded him of what was coming because it's Passover. He cannot escape what's coming with his physical senses. Passover brought thousands of people to Jerusalem with their lambs, either on a Thursday or Friday, depending on whether you were from the northern or the southern tribe, and you would take that lamb to the priest and they would slaughter it, foreshadowing a coming sacrifice for your sins. We're talking about Thousands of animals slaughtered in the place of other people. Take a look at the the picture on the screen there, because that's something of what it looks like. The blood of those lambs would literally run off the backside of the temple down into a drain and into the brook of Kidron until it literally turned red. And by the way, that's the same brook that Jesus had to cross on his way to Gethsemane. It was a bloody mess. It smelled. There were flies. This is the environment in which he says, I am anxious to celebrate this with you before this happens. The whole Passover observance was a reminder to him of what was coming. Everything he would face, including that most terrifying thing, which was facing full bore, head on, the wrath of God against your sin and mine. But the good news is, no more lambs after this one. This one was once and final, and so when, when we break the bread and we pass the cup, we remember that once-for-all sacrifice, and we do it recognizing what Jesus himself wanted to be known for. You know, people who are Christian and non-Christian like to identify Jesus in all kinds of ways. What a great teacher he was. What a phenomenal wise sage he was. What a strong advocate for justice he was. What a powerful healer he was. What a friend of sinner he was. Listen, Every single one of those things is true. None of them bring you eternal life. None of them. None of them. You can never get, I mean, the reason you need healing is because the sin nature has brought sickness into our world. The reason that justice is an issue is because systems are broken because they're created by sinful human beings. Apart from this thing that we memorialize, none of that other stuff gets fixed. No teaching can motivate you to full obedience to God. This is it. And this, brothers and sisters, is why Jesus, more than anything else, wanted to be remembered for his atoning sacrifice. Because that's the root for where we find our teaching, where we find our healing, where we find our justice, where we find everything. Without that, there's nothing. We observe this this symbolic occasion not because the occasion saves us, but because it points us to what does save. And it allows us to see the hope that 1 John describes when he says that if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, we we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. We do this because it's a memorial. But secondly, we, we do it because of what it symbolizes. Look at verse 20. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is Poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So that should prompt the question, shouldn't it? What is the new covenant? What is that? Well, almost 600 years before the time of Jesus, God revealed this coming covenant to the prophet Jeremiah. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them i will write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people see for centuries god god's people had known his expectations right they had the law they knew what they were supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do they knew what they were supposed to eat and what they were not supposed to eat they knew how they were supposed to relate to each other they knew what a just society looked like all of that had been laid out for them and they obeyed precisely none of it kind of sounds familiar doesn't it They knew God's expectations. They could never do it. No king was ever able to bring them ultimate justice. There was no judge that could ever ultimately correct their wrong. There was no prophet who could bring them ultimately to embody truth. Most importantly, there was no priest that could fully and finally remove their sins. All of that's going to have to get accomplished in some other way. And so God says, this old covenant just demonstrates your ultimate failure to live up to the standards for which you were created. I will create a new covenant, and the partners in this new covenant will be able to keep their parts of it. You know why? Because you and I were not initiatory partners in the new covenant. The new covenant was not between God and Israel. It wasn't between God and humanity. It wasn't between holy and sinful Because every time you strike a covenant between those two, this one just never keeps up his or her end of the bargain. It never happens. And so the new covenant is an agreement between God the Father and God the Son. And they will both keep their promises to you and to me. This is the avenue, Jesus says, through which you will get new hearts through which the ability to live out the purpose for which you were created will be granted. And so when we observe the Lord's Supper, we do it because Jesus intends that we remember two things. Number one, the absolute repulsiveness of our sin. I mean, the solemnity of the words, this is my body broken for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. I mean, just those words reminds us that God takes sin with a deadly seriousness. He does not wink at it. He does not sweep it under the rug. He does not ignore it. It will be punished. Isn't it interesting how when we live in relationship to each other, we love to maximize the sins of others and minimize our own? Sociologists have a word for this. It's called motive attribution asymmetry. You know what that means? It means that if you're like me, if you agree with me, if we kind of see ourselves cut from the same cloth, I'm, I'm going to have a tendency to assume the best about you. But if you're different from me, my, my tendency is going to be more to assume the worst. Get ready. There's an election year coming. You're about to see this crap in spades. Okay? But that's what it is, right? And, and what it is as well, I'm, I'm not so bad as, as this person or that person this reminds me that there's nothing in my life that is out of sync with the will of God that will not be punished severely and eternally. And it will either be required at my hands or it will be absorbed in the cross of Jesus Christ. One one or the other is going to happen. And so I've got to figure out what I want to do. This reminds me This symbolizes the punishment of that sin, but it also symbolizes something else, God's love for sinners. If God were not holy, there would be no need for a blood sacrifice. If God were not loving, there wouldn't have been a blood sacrifice. God does this because of his love for you. So there's two things you need to remember, I need to remember, when we observe the Lord's Supper. The first is you are far more sinful than you ever feared, and the second is you are far more loved than you could possibly fathom. That is the heart of the gospel. That is what is symbolized at the heart of what we do every time we gather around the Lord's table. This is why I said, I'm glad they pushed it. I would not dare push anything this significant forward one week simply so I could be here. This is not about me. This is about the bride of Christ. But I'm thankful because I gotta tell you personally, I hate not, get, not being able to gather with God's people any Sunday, but particularly when we observe this, because of all that it symbolizes. Number three, we celebrate this because of what it means personally. Look at verse 19. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. See, they weren't mere spectators to this event. They participated fully as should all who follow Jesus as Lord and God. You know, often in more liturgical environments, you may hear someone hand you the elements and say, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. We, we don't do that here because, well, it's not true. This isn't, again, it's crackers and juice from Food Lion, okay? But I don't think there's anything wrong with, in fact, often there's, there's a healthy dose of of, of good remembrance, and maybe saying something like this as you, ha- as you are handed these elements. The body of Christ was broken for you, the blood of Christ was poured out for you. When, when we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a time of communion with Jesus that reminds you his sacrifice wasn't abstract, it was something that happened in history and it was something that was applied personally. Isaiah described it this way, uh, foretelling the death of Jesus. He says this in, in Isaiah 53, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. In other words, he will contemplate what's coming. He will even hang on the cross in agony. But as he looks forward and sees what it will accomplish, it brings him satisfaction. Furthermore, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. It is worth it, Jesus says. It is worth it. You know what that means? It means that as Jesus hung there, he envisioned the untold, uncountable mathematics, fails at adding them all up, people for whom he was dying, who would feel, who would ask forgiveness of their sins and put their faith in his death and resurrection and be redeemed. Every single one of us, he saw us and his soul as he hung in agony was satisfied. He saw you and he said, that'll do. I'll stay here. No need to call angels. I could. I'll stay here. He saw you. As you partake in this, remember that. And then finally, remember that we do this because of what we have to look forward to. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you drink of this bread, or eat of this bread, and drink, well, you know what, I did have Krispy Kreme donuts when I was away. And if you get them while they're hot, you really can drink bread. Um, <laughs> that's probably where my mind went. My, my apologies. So often as you, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the lord's death until he comes. Now that's exciting. We don't just do this to remember the past, we do it to look forward to the future. Jesus would put it this way in Luke 22:16 for for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Sometimes Christians find themselves in disagreement with one another about this, this whole concept of the kingdom of God. More particularly, is it in the present or is it in the future? I, I grew up in a church tradition, learned a lot from it, very thankful for it, would never reject it, but that's what I was taught. All that stuff's in the future. Don't worry about anything right now except getting people saved. All that other stuff comes when the kingdom comes. And then I started reading the book of Acts, And I thought, well, these guys aren't living like it's all future, like they're living like it's happening now. And then I looked at the words of Jesus when he said, the kingdom of God is among you. It is within you. Then I read Revelation 20 and it didn't seem like whatever's being described there was happening now. So then I got confused. You ever been there? Yeah. So so here's my big answer. It's not really complicated when someone says, does covenant believe that the kingdom of God is present or future? Here's our answer. Yes. Yes. The kingdom is among us. The kingdom is, is with us. We are agents of the kingdom. Our calling is to bring tangible expressions of the kingdom. But we will not ultimately and finally bring the kingdom. Here, here at Covenant, really in the, in the larger Christian world, there's a 10-cent word for this. You all mind me putting a big word on the screen? It's, you know, you go to school and you, you pay a lot of money to use these big words, and occasionally you, you just got to use one of them. So here's the word, inaugurated eschatology. What that means is that the end is coming... But simultaneously, indications of the end are already here. Okay? There's a sense of now. There's a sense of not yet. There's a sense of when Jesus ascended... He said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. The power of the kingdom is mine. In 10 chapters earlier, he told Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Not in a thousand years or three thousand years from now. You get them right now. So there's a now sense of this, but there's also a not yet sense of this. We haven't seen, nor will we, until Jesus physically returns the full expression of the kingdom of God. We as a church live the values and manifest the presence of the kingdom right here, right now. But when we observe communion together, Paul says we we do this until he comes. We're we're, We're not just looking back, we're looking forward to a moment when history is consummated and the kingdom of God is finally fully and ultimately realized. Scripture speaks of a messianic banquet. In Revelation 19 and Jesus says I will not eat this physically with you again until that moment Happens and so when you and I gather as the Saints around the Lord's table We're not just looking back on what was purchased for us. We are looking forward to the moment when closing day comes amen I mean it's one thing to have a ratified if you ever sold a house You know what this is like right it's one thing to have a ratified contract it is quite another to close Amen. And we know this and we are told that closing day is coming. And every time we gather around the body, that which, which symbolizes the body and blood of the Lord, brothers and sisters, we are called not just to look back, but to celebrate a day when the close of history will come and we will gather with the Lord Jesus again. And so our minds are taken forward. A day is coming when we will share in this observance, not just with each other, Not just with our loved ones who have gone on before us on the other side, but with Jesus. We look forward to that day. You know, the the pictures that God gives us in Scripture are indescribably beautiful. From the very beginning of creation, even before the fall, God's desire was to paint a picture of the relationship between the Lord and his gathered people, the church. And so he gave us something called marriage. Amy and I were just at a wedding last night where I had the the high honor of officiating the wedding of a young couple who are part of this church family who are on their way to Italy as I speak. You can all be a little bit jealous, that's okay. Who love Jesus and are, are committed not only to each other but to their commitment to him, to the mission of God for their lives as they can discern that together a beautiful, beautiful picture. From the, from the time of John's gospel, God's desire was to illustrate what happens when our hearts are changed on the basis of the new covenant. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. And so he gave us a picture, baptism. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You're about to witness it here in, in just a few moments. And then the Lord, from the time of the last supper of Jesus wanted to teach his people, first in Israel and Egypt and now us, about what was involved in bringing that salvation about. God wanted us to never forget the cost involved that brought us forgiveness of sins and the hope of heaven and the promise of abundant life in this world and in the next one. And so he gave us the Lord's Supper. This is why we celebrate. This is why it's important. This is why you should gather with God's people every Sunday that providence does not hinder you, but most especially on those Sundays when we celebrate the Lord's table. So you can embrace the full meaning of that command to savor the love of Jesus for you and his death for your sin, and to rise above any circumstance of your life at the moment that has you so distracted that it's hard to focus on your ultimate hope. The Lord's Supper can help you not be distracted as you look back on what it costs to bring you where you are and forward in anticipation of his return. Let us continue to do this in remembrance of him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the power of your word and for the symbols that are contained therein. I thank you that today we actually get to experience both. Two Father, for me as a pastor, I've had just the awesome privilege of experiencing all three in just a matter of less than 12 hours, really. Marriage, baptism, and now the Lord's Supper. Father, may we be obedient, not merely because your word says so, although certainly that is reason enough. You don't always require us to understand. You don't always explain yourself. We understand you're not obligated to do that. But in, in this situation, you have explained yourself Thoroughly And so, Lord, as we obey, may we do it understanding the depth of your love for us and why you give us symbols like this. May we never take them for granted. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors.